Hi, my name is Ronnie Grayer, and this is the Monthly Safety Podcast for May of 2011. First, a little bit about me. I've been a Greyhound driver now for the past 20 years, been in the driver instructor program for the past six, and I currently drive out of Syracuse, New York. Well, happy Memorial Day to everyone. Summer is almost here. Summer driving season is upon us, and with that comes extra traffic on the highway and lots of road construction. But the weather is always pleasant, and we welcome that. Uh, One of the things I wanted to talk about this month is what's going on in the news. Um, Some of you may remember from a previous episode, or you may have been aware that there was a a megabus accident in the Syracuse area uh, approximately six months ago. I can't remember the exact date. Um, And basically what happened was the driver of a double-decker bus uh, that was 13 foot 1, uh, struck an overpass that was 10 foot 9, and unfortunately uh, four people were killed in that collision. The driver was not uh, killed, and the reason I bring this up is because just this past week uh, that driver was brought back to the Syracuse area to uh, go to court to appear in front of a judge, and he was uh, indicted on four counts of criminally negligent homicide, and this is a very serious thing. So, I mean, it goes without saying that you can't squeeze a 13-1 bus under a 10-9 bridge. And uh, this particular uh, bridge has extensive indications. There are, so, there are 12 signs for approximately two miles approaching. There are flashing strobe lights. The bridge itself has orange reflective tape on it. And the reason I bring this up also is because this particular bridge is struck approximately two to three times per year by overheight trucks. Uh, everybody kind of laughs about it and it's real funny until four people are killed, then it's a serious thing. But when they're spilling cases of beer on the ground, everybody thinks it's a big joke. And what happened was, if you look at the newspaper accounts on the Internet, there are places for readers to make comments, and a lot of people felt that the bus driver from Megabus was unfairly targeted and uh, is treating being treated too harshly because, after all, this is just an accident. This is what other motorists on the road said. He struck a bridge, he's got to live with people who were killed while he was driving, and hey, it's just an accident. So these are the kinds of attitudes that we have in a lot of drivers out on the road, and it makes for a dangerous environment for us driving when people are constantly distracted by electronic devices and gadgets and even reading and writing and sometimes eating where it requires two hands, one for a utensil and one to hold the plate or the bowl. Uh, and these are the kinds of drivers that we have out on the road. So if you haven't already gone through Smith System training in the past or currently, you will should expect to see that soon. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, being aware of the habits of other motorists on the road and pointing those things out because we need to know what's going on around us at all times. So, And again, it goes without saying that uh, if you are seriously negligent and involved in, a, in an incident of major proportions, you can be held individually liable. So we need to avoid those kinds of things. But obviously, you know, this, this megabus thing just went terribly wrong because the driver was, according to his own account, was lost. He was in an unfamiliar area to him, and he was using his GPS device to find his way. And, you know, if you're lost, if you can't seem to figure out where you're at, one of the things that you want to do is to pay extra close attention to all the signs around you on the road and obviously uh, overhead clearance is a huge thing for drivers of trucks and buses. So I just wanted to mention that. And again, you know, it, it frustrates me to see drivers of all types of vehicles say things like, you know, accidents happen and that's what insurance is for and you didn't do it on purpose and you didn't mean to do it. But we know at Greyhound certainly that accidents don't just happen. 
accidents are caused by bad drivers that make poor decisions. So we need to compensate for those drivers, be aware of them, drive defensively, and obviously the S2 rule uh, should dictate all of our conduct out on the road. So we know that. I wanted to mention another thing. Uh, I recently spoke to one of the uh, regional VPs in the Northeast who mentioned that we're still having uh, a lot of concern with backing collisions. Drivers continuing to be involved in backing collisions all the time, and obviously, uh, you know, a backing collision, you're most likely striking a fixed object, but not always, is something that is certainly avoidable uh, and always uh, embarrassing and, and, you know, goes against your safety record. So we need to be really careful when it comes to backing. Unfortunately, we can't completely eliminate backing, but we should try to minimize it. If at all possible, we look for alternatives to backing. Sometimes we can avoid backing completely with a little bit of planning. And if we can't avoid backing, then what we need to do is to back as little as possible and only when necessary. And since I mentioned the five keys, they apply both to driving in reverse as well as driving forward. And they do relate to backing, um, so I wanted to talk about that for a few minutes. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the five keys, I'll just mention it really quickly again. This is something that is coming around to the locations gradually. Greyhound had uh, employed the five keys or the Smith system for a long time in the past, and it was temporarily replaced by 3LC, which was, of course, uh, look ahead, look around, leave room, communicate. We've gone back to the five keys, which are aim high in steering, get the big picture, keep your eyes moving, leave yourself an out, and make sure they see you. And an easy way to remember that, of course, and I've said it in the past, is all good kids like milk, or all good kids love milk, either one if you prefer. But as it relates to backing, key number one says to aim high in steering, so we need to do things like consider the problems inherent in backing, understand the problem goes a long way towards overcoming them, so obviously we need to understand uh, what issues we have when backing. When possible, we avoid backing, which I mentioned, of course. We need to look, think, and plan ahead to select the safest possible parking location and backing path, and consider the problems you'll be encountering when you are ready to depart and plan ahead. So, you know, things like sometimes we can back in so that we have an easy departure and it's much safer to back in than to back out if we have to back at all. So again, we avoid backing whenever possible. We need to get the big picture, so we uh, obviously need to scan the entire backing area with our eyes. Uh, if we have any doubt about blind areas, a walk-around inspection is something that we need to do. Even though we walk around before we even begin to back up, if you find yourself backing and you're unsure, you need to get out and walk around again. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, having a guide does not excuse us from walking around initially or if we need to check in the midst of a backing maneuver, even with a guide, we should go ahead and walk around again. And obviously, when you're using a guide, you need to make sure that both you and the guide understand the signals and make sure that that guide is visible, preferably in your left side mirror. And if you lose sight of your guide, or if you feel the guide is going to become trapped between the bus and a fixed object, then we need to stop. And these are important things that we all uh, have undergone back in training and know these things, but I just wanted to reiterate them because, again, drivers seem to sometimes get in a hurry or take shortcuts. And one of the things that drivers fail to do often is to ask for a guide, ask for someone to assist them when backing. Someone is not always going to approach you and say, hey, I'd like to help you back out. Let me know when you're ready. That may happen. But we need to go ahead and ask one of our coworkers, it's a driver, a ticket agent, a supervisor, a baggage handler, anyone that's available, uh, preferably an employee, to assist us in backing. It's very important. 
And if you are assisting someone, please make sure that you're wearing your safety vest so that when you're standing out in the traffic area, other vehicles can clearly see you. Because we did have an, an incident in a bus station in New York where one of our drivers was struck by another bus when acting as a guide. And uh, this was uh, quite a while back, and I'm not sure if we had the safety vests yet, but the area was a little bit dark, so we need to be careful with that. Um, key number three, to keep your eyes moving. Uh, avoid staring at one object. Uh, you know, when you're backing, one of the things that we need to do is to constantly be looking around because many backing collisions occur to the front and sides of your bus. They don't necessarily occur in the rear because we focus our attention in the rear, and sometimes we look in one mirror for too long, but a lot of times damages to the just to the front corners because we forget uh, steering is, is changed. The vehicle is designed to go forward. So if you turn your wheel to the right, for example, and the back of the bus is going to the right, well, the front of the bus is swinging to the left, and that's something that we sometimes don't take into account. So we need to keep our eyes moving, maximum your, maximize excuse me, your, both your central and peripheral vision by scanning the entire area, by keeping your eyes moving, checking both mirrors, and looking all around. Obviously, you want to rock and roll to maximize your visibility and minimize the areas of limited visibility. And the other thing that we want to do that's very important is to back slowly at engine idle speed with your brake covered at approximately one mile per hour or less. And the reason that we need to really stress this is because if you do strike something, the damage will be minimal. This is really important. So let's, let's back as slowly as possible at engine idle speed with your brake covered. If you do strike something, the damage will be minimal. Key number four, of course, is to leave yourself an out. So if you cannot avoid backing, Choose the site with the fewest hazards. Uh, obviously, we want to get no closer to other objects than we must. Back only as far as you must. That's a big one. Many drivers will back out of a loading platform and continue to back for what seems like a greater distance than they need to. When you have enough room to pull forward, then you go ahead and stop backing and pull forward. And we always need to keep a good space cushion, obviously, around the vehicle. Um, and, of course, key five is to make sure that they see you. Uh, so, obviously, one of the things that we do without even thinking about it when we back is that we turn on our four-way flashers and we sound the horn twice and this is something that we should do each and every time to make sure that other vehicles and pedestrians and anybody that may be around will be aware that your bus is backing don't take anything for granted obviously uh, eye contact is not a guarantee so make sure that if you do sound your horn you do have your flashers on if somebody doesn't seem to be responding to the fact that you're backing you need to stop and ensure that everyone knows your intentions so again, we want to, you know, eliminate these backing collisions that are uh, always embarrassing, always preventable, and they are costly to the company. So we need to avoid that uh, at all times. And one of the biggest things that we can do is to take our time, always back with a ground guide, and avoid backing whenever possible. That's a huge thing. I wanted to talk a little bit about pedestrians. Um, I've mentioned this in the past. We've had some issues uh, with pedestrian accidents in, in Manhattan outside of the bus station there, but it's not limited certainly to that area. There are increasing number of people that are walking and jogging and all kind. Of, obviously, we have cyclists as well fall into the, a similar category. And unfortunately, in a lot of areas, they're not designed with pedestrians in mind. So we have to share the road with those pedestrians who are walking and jogging alongside the road. Sometimes there's a shoulder, sometimes there's not. So we need to make sure that... Um, we have the proper care and attention. Uh, we need to be aware of the pedestrians around us. Be aware that sometimes there are actually bicycle lanes. We don't want to encroach on those. And obviously a, a collision with a pedestrian or a bicyclist 
is a very serious thing that we need to avoid at all costs. Sometimes, you know, the pedestrians are not paying attention. They're doing things like talking on the phone, um, playing with their portable music player and things like that. And we've seen cases where pedestrians almost walk right into the path of the bus. So you really need to be scanning. You need to be aware. If you see pedestrians alongside the road, as soon as you see them, you need to try and communicate with those pedestrians, whether we establish eye contact, we need to sound the horn to do that. And obviously, it goes without saying that with any, like with any hazard on the side of the road, if possible, we move over. And if we're unable to do that, we need to slow down and use caution. That is really important with anything. And that brings me to my next point, and I've talked about this in the past, is that in every state now, it is the law that all drivers of vehicles must move over or slow down when they see a police officer or an emergency vehicle on the side of the road. This is something that's been Greyhound policy for a very long time, as long as I can remember. It's common sense. It's been the law in many states. Um, some states were a little bit slower to adopt it. My home state uh, adopted it within probably the last eight or nine months. It, it, it took a long time for New York State to get on that bandwagon. Um, and unfortunately, the reason that we have these laws in place is because police officers are struck and sometimes killed by passing motorists. And I know in a lot of places, uh, drivers will actually be uh, stopped and cited for failing to move over or slow down for emergency vehicles. So it's a serious thing. A lot of drivers recognize the fact that there's a hazard on the side of the road and do nothing about it. And we as Greyhound drivers don't do that. As soon as we recognize a hazard, we need to uh, try to find an escape. We need to move over. And if we can't move over, we need to slow down. It's very important. Now, let me give you some numbers here from 2007. 71% uh, of Americans have not heard of move-over laws. 86% supported enacting move-over laws in all 50 states. And 90% believe traffic stops and roadside emergencies are dangerous for law enforcement and first responders. So, obviously, you know, a lot of drivers don't heed these laws. Many drivers aren't aware of this. And it makes it more difficult for us uh, in the bus because sometimes when we try to move over, drivers won't allow us to because they don't see the need for us to move over. Or if we do move over, it becomes even more dangerous because other vehicles will pass us on the right in that space that we've just opened up. But again, uh, we need to be the professionals. We need to drive with safety in mind at all times. And it's really important to make sure that we move over or slow down when you see any hazard on the side of the road, really, whether it's an emergency vehicle or a police officer or even just a tow truck or even a disabled motorist. We really need to realize that these can present serious safety hazards to us in the bus, and we need to um, adjust accordingly to avoid these hazards. And, of course, again, I'd like to uh, bring up the issue of fixed objects, another example of a collision that is always preventable and always embarrassing and something that should not happen to us as Greyhound drivers. One of the things that we've seen more recently, which really is quite embarrassing, is drivers uh, failing to set the parking brake before leaving the driver's seat. And I'm not sure how this happens because it should be an automatic thing. When you stop your bus, you put the transmission in neutral and you set the parking brake. It seems like those things go together just like peanut butter and jelly, uh, to use a, a metaphor. And we had two instances that I know of where drivers did not set the parking brake. And in one case, the bus rolled into a pole, uh, and the bus obviously was damaged. Nobody was hurt, and the driver received a ticket, and it was a very serious thing. And the other one, the driver didn't set the parking brake and left the 
bus, went inside to in a truck stop to go uh, pay for his fuel or sign the receipt, whatever it was, and the bus rolled into a ditch. So these kinds of things just should not happen. It's it's you know something that I wanted to mention because obviously we had drivers that uh, for whatever reason did not set their parking brake when they stopped, and we need to make sure that we do that at all times because as I said before, these are things that are embarrassing, preventable, and they simply just should not happen. So. To avoid fixed objects in general, though, we need to be alert and prepared at all times. And being alert comes with ensuring you're well-rested prior to starting your trip and observing your hours of service. Now, fixed objects can't make emergency moves out of your way. You're in control of maneuvering the coach safely around the fixed object. You control the speed and direction of the coach you are operating. Collisions with fixed objects are preventable and usually involve failure to properly set or check mirrors or properly judge clearances, new routes, resurface pavements, marquees projecting over traveling sections of the road, and these types of things. So the driver must constantly be on the lookout for such conditions to avoid collisions. And, you know, it's interesting. I can tell you a story that happened. We had a driver at the training school in Atlantic City who previously drove for the city bus in the southeast, and he had a collision with a tree branch struck his bus. And he tried to explain that because it had rained heavily the day before, the tree branch had sagged, and therefore the tree actually hit the bus. Uh, it took us quite a while to get him to admit that maybe he could have done something to have prevented that from occurring, and in fact, the tree is a fixed object and therefore it didn't move. But it's interesting how people say these kinds of things all the time, that uh, when they strike a fixed object, that it wasn't their fault because that fixed object actually jumped out into their path. We laugh at it, but drivers do say that. So again, uh, you know, we want to take our time. Proper seat and mirror settings are crucial to safe operation of the bus. I can't stress that enough. We see too many drivers set their mirrors incorrectly, particularly setting the right side mirror too low, which is great for making right turns, but allows you to see very little in, uh, besides that right rear. So we need to make sure we set our mirrors correctly. Many locations have mirror stations where you can check the settings of your mirrors based on the lines that are painted on the ground and see if you're where you need to be or if you need to make an adjustment. And uh, if you have any questions about proper seat and mirror adjustments, please don't hesitate to ask an instructor at your location so that we can make sure that we are setting those things correctly for maximum visibility. And, you know, setting your seat properly helps to minimize things like fatigue as well. If your seat is not set correctly, that can cause over time for you to become fatigued, uh, for you to have uh, discomfort, uh, back issues, circulatory issues, these kinds of things puts pressure under your legs and all kinds of good stuff. It affects your ability to reach the pedals correctly. So we need to make sure that we do that. So please don't just jump in the driver's seat and look in the mirrors quickly and say, that looks about right and get on your way because it's almost impossible to follow another driver and not have to make some sort of an adjustment to the mirrors. You're doing yourself a disservice by trying to rush. That should be part of your pre-trip inspection always. So again, I wanted to uh, just make a little bit more uh, mention of the Smith system. If you have not had that training yet, um, look forward to it. And if you have, you want to go ahead and utilize all those tools that we've been given. And one of the things that we learned when we talked about the Smith system was that there were uh, some good benefits to driving uh, using the five keys. And the three that come to mind right away, of course, are space, visibility, and time. And when I say space, I mean space for the vehicle because the Smith system encourages, encourages us to drive with cushion around us at all times, have a space cushion. 
So if you've got space for the vehicle, that gives you good visibility for the driver. You eliminate your vision barriers. For example, if you're following a truck too closely, you can't see around that vehicle. If you reduce your speed and back off a little bit, your uh, ability to see further ahead is increased. And other than reducing our speed, we can also change lanes or we could even go around depending on the circumstances. And if we increase our space and give ourselves good visibility, that gives us time to make decisions so that we don't have to make snap decisions in a hurry. Also, I wanted to give you some numbers uh, from 2008. And um, for each uh, traffic death, there were uh, 61 injuries. And for each of those uh, 61 injuries, there were 148 collisions with 255 vehicles involved, uh, over 1,400 citations issued. And the dollar amount uh, in 2008 numbers was uh, $5.5 billion. So it's just unbelievable. Um, and, you know, if we look at, we put some of the numbers into perspective, in 2010, there were approximately 32,000, almost 33,000 deaths on highways in the United States. And that was a 3% drop from 2009. But if you put that into perspective, we've been in Iraq now for uh, 10 years. And we've probably lost 4,000 soldiers in that battle. So can we imagine if we had lost 32,000 or 33,000 lives, we'd be screaming, get our troops, bring them home. But yet we're losing almost 33,000 lives on the highway each year. And nobody seems to be overly concerned about some of the issues that contribute to all these collisions. I mean, yes, we've got a lot of safety equipment in the vehicles, but it takes the driver making good decisions and paying attention and being involved and being aware to bring these highway deaths down. So unfortunately, we have to share the road with all these drivers that are inattentive and distracted and uh, exceeding their performance capabilities, to borrow a term. So we need to compensate for all that when we're out here on the road. Okay, finally, I'd like to uh, consult the driver's rule book for just a few quick things that we've been talking about. And if we go to rule S11, it talks about speed. And what it says is buses are not to be operated in excess of the posted speed limit. Under no circumstances is the bus to be driven at a speed greater than is reasonable and prudent under existing weather, road, and traffic conditions. And I mention this because sometimes drivers feel that if they're uh, driving with the flow of traffic, that somehow excuses them and it does not. We need to operate uh, within the posted speed limit according to the conditions at all times and not allow other drivers or other traffic to dictate how we operate our bus. The other thing I wanted to mention was uh, Rule S22, which addresses things like night driving and reduced visibility in general. And it says that drivers will add at least one second following distance when driving at night, when driving in reduced visibility, and speed will be reduced accordingly. Uh, if your visibility, for example, drops to 4 seconds, you should reduce your speed to 40 miles per hour. If your visibility drops to 3 seconds, you should reduce your speed to 25 miles per hour. When your visibility is at 2 seconds or less, it's a good idea to try and find a safe place to pull off the road as it is hazardous to continue. Things like fog, um, even heavy rain at times, and certainly snow can reduce your visibility significantly. But even things like terrain, things like hills and curves, can limit your ability to see further ahead and we should adjust our speed accordingly so that we drive uh, within our sight distance and we don't basically outdrive what we can see so by the time we perceive a hazard if we needed to reduce our speed or stop we'd be able to do that in time by not driving uh, too fast for the conditions the last thing i'll mention is that uh, we are seeing some new equipment coming out into the fleet 
Um, we've seen the MCI D4505, and we're going to be seeing some new Prevost X345 buses coming out. There have been some changes to the current model. We'll see some, some of them you'll notice right away as a driver, and some of them may be a little more subtle. You may have to be a mechanic to see them, but uh, they've certainly done quite a few things with the X345. We've seen those buses primarily in the northeast region, but I believe they're going to start to expand a little bit. And the D4505, we see more uh, in the Midwest and in the South um, on the 4505, so you'll see those out there as well. Uh, you know, the important thing is, really, after a while, uh, a bus is a bus is a bus. Sure, we'll have training at your location, and you'll learn some of the nuances and some of the particulars, but even within a bus model line, things change all the time. Uh, we're seeing with the new, uh, newer buses that the lift has changed in terms of the doors becoming a sliding door as opposed to a door that swings open and that you know will minimize the chance of uh, the door closing unintentionally or striking another object and it just makes it easier you need less space to, to work with and things like that so those are some of the changes we've seen on the X345 they have changed the dash and simplified it and eliminated this uh, procedure for manual regeneration which was a problem in the past because sometimes no matter how, how you try you couldn't uh, trigger that regeneration process and if the bus thinks that it needs to be regenerated and you don't do it eventually it shuts down and you have a problem so those are some of the things that we're seeing uh, in the near future we'll be seeing some new buses but we'll also be seeing a lot of uh, the older buses being refurbished as well and we're trying to keep up with the fleet so as drivers we need to do our part uh, to avoid having collisions so that uh, a the company can continue to operate uh, and purchase new equipment so we have nice equipment to drive and be so that the equipment that we have doesn't become painful to look at from all the body damage that's all over them as we get like that over time. So that's all I've got for this month. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again in June and if you have any suggestions or comments or feedback or criticisms you can feel free to send me email at ronnie r-o-n-n-i-e one three two one one at gmail.com and you can visit my Facebook page as well Again, that's Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, and my last name is G-R-E-H-E-R. -E -E Have a safe and pleasant trip, and we'll see you in June.